Welcome to the 80s Arcade Podcast. Here's your host, Bob Johnson. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the 80s Arcade Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Johnson. This episode's game is Tapper. The cabinet for Tapper is set up to resemble a bar. There's a brass rail that runs along the bottom and two brass drink holders, one on each side of the control panel. The cabinet and gameplay on the beer version features the Budweiser logo. The game has a four-way joystick to move the bartender and beer taps that have Budweiser handles to resemble the actual beer taps in real bars. Let's start out with a little technical information. Tapper runs on Valley Midway MCR3 hardware with a Zilog 380 CPU running at 5 MHz and a separate Zilog Z80 CPU running at 2 MHz for sound. To put that in perspective, my first 286 computer I bought was an 8 MHz processor with a 12 MHz turbo mode. The sound chips themselves are two general instrument AY8910s running at 2 MHz apiece. The control panel is a single-player ambidextrous layout, and the sound is unamplified stereo and requires a two-channel amp. History Tapper is a 1983 arcade game developed by Marvin Glass & Associates and released by Ballet Midway. MGA was contracted by Ballet Midway to design coin-operated video games during the 1980s. Some of the games produced by MGA during this era include Tapper, Domino Man, and Timber. The company continued operation until 1988. Tapper came in both upright and a cocktail version. Around 3,300 Tapper uprights were made, and maybe the first 100 or so were released with color side art. About 300 cocktail machines were also made. There were also promo drink coasters made with a white background and the Tapper logo above a mug of beer. Below that is the name Valley Midway, with the last line having the 1983 copyright information. This is all framed by red artwork that resembles stained glass. Released in December 1983, Tapper puts the player in the shoes of a bartender who must serve eager, thirsty patrons before their patience expires and one or more of them reach the end of the bar while also collecting empty mugs and tips. Tapper was designed and programmed by Steve Meyer with graphics by Scott Morrison. Of note is a Howard J. Morrison listed on the U.S. patent papers. More on the patent in a minute. I could not find them listed anywhere else, but given that this is an official government document, it is probably correct. Sounds were created by Rick Caro, and support was provided by Elaine Ditton. The arcade version features a Budweiser motif. It was intended to be sold at the bars, with cabinets sporting a brass rail footrest and drink holders. According to graphics creator Scott Morrison, the licensing person for Bally Midway, Tom Neiman, approached Budweiser to license the brand for the game. According to Rick Accaro, music composer and sound developer for Tapper, early machines had game controllers that were actual Budweiser beer tap handles, which were later replaced by smaller plastic versions with the Budweiser logo on them. It is often said that the rethemed Rook Beer Tapper, which followed in 1984, was developed specifically for arcades because the original version was construed as advertising to minors. However, according to programmer Steve Meyer, this was not the case. Music Music and sound effects on the original arcade version of Tapper were created by the game's sound designer, Rick Caro, an electronic game developer at Marvin Glass, who also happened to be a musician. While it was mentioned that Rick was a game developer at Marvin Glass, I could not find any other games he worked on. He used a proprietary sound synthesizer system developed at Marvin Glass to create all the sound effects and music. The system consisted of a Synclavier II sound synthesizer, a sophisticated and professional synthesizer consisting of a 16-bit mini-computer and synthesizer, keyboard, and sound manager. 
This was running custom sound development software written by Richard Ditton, a software engineer and video game developer at Marvin Glass. The system interfaced directly to the actual arcade game system, so its sounds were true to the capabilities of the hardware. It also allowed for rapid prototyping and testing of gameplay with full sound and music during the development of video games. Also, unlike other gaming development systems where the music was created note by note in programming code, music and even sound effects on the Marvin Glass system could be played on the Synclavier's keyboard and recorded directly into memory, then burned directly into the game's ROMs. The sound effects themselves were modeled after cartoon sound effects and real-life sounds. All music was original and composed by Rick Caro, except for O Susanna, composed by Stephen Foster, and Buffalo Gals, which is a traditional American folk song heard in the barroom scenes when the cartoon gals dance in the background. The other two music pieces not created by Rick were the Budweiser theme heard in the bonus round and the Can-Can by Jacques Offenbach, heard when a tip is collected and sets off the onstage entertainment. Art The main character in the game as well as the main character in two other Bally Midway games, Domino Man and Timber, is based on a Marvin Glass employee, Mike Ferris, who had the same distinctive mustache and bald head and reportedly wore a red t-shirt all the time. Mike was also an artist who taught Tapper's artist, Scott Morrison. U.S. Patent It is not unusual to patent logos and other particulars to games. However, what is unusual is to patent a game as an actual invention. Patent number 4 million... 643,421 does just that. Filed August 31st, 1984, well after both Tapper and Root Beer Tapper were released, this patent states that Tapper is a video game in which a host image repels ravenous images by serving filled vessels. I don't know about you, but that sounds like something out of a horror video game. The patent is 12 pages long and goes into great detail about the gameplay, to the point that I could have used it as the only point of reference. There are seven listed patron patterns A through G and nine different speeds. This information plus much more that is included in the patent is anecdotally backed up in the well-written Tapper FAQ by Andrew Schultz and both are highly recommended reading to everyone and especially anyone who wants to play Tapper at a higher level. In addition to the text information provided in the patent, there is one flowchart that shows how the boards interact with each other, one other flowchart that shows how the bonus round works, plus another that shows how the game itself works. Also included is how the shaking can is picked and much more in-depth information. It should be noted that in the patent it incorrectly states that you get 1,500 points for the bonus round instead of 3,000. Both of these flowcharts are in a style that I often used in my college days in my computer programming classes. In this paper, the Tapper video game patent is a series of closed readings presented at the Proceedings of the First International Joint Conference of DIGRA and FDG Mark J. Nelson gives a very good overview of the patent itself and is well worth reading as an additional source of information and a sort of summary of the patent. Characters The Bartender This is you, the bartender. Your one and only goal as a proud member of the service industry is to serve every bar patron with a full, cool mug of beer. Patrons Patrons may vary in appearance from location to location, but they all behave exactly the same. They want one thing, and one thing only, beer, and they want it now, or at least before they make it all the way to the end of the bar without being served. Should that unfortunate event happen, they will grab the bartender and slide you down the bar in humiliation. Don't let this happen, and keep the beers flowing. There are many different patrons. Here are the ones you'll run into. At the Western Saloon, levels 1 and 2, 
There are cowboys, some with mustaches, some without, wearing a shirt, vest, and bandana combo. The cowgirls wear a plain shirt, and of course, everyone wears a cowboy hat. The sports bar, levels 3 through 5, there are female tennis players bouncing a ball off a tennis racket and wearing ponytails. In addition, there are male baseball players wearing a batting helmet and carrying a bat, football players wearing a helmet, and basketball players sporting a crew cut and spinning a basketball. The punk bar, level 6 through 9, there are men with spiked hair, men with mohawks, men with safety pins in their head, and women with triangular floppy hair. Finally, at the alien bar, levels 10 through 13, there's a weird winking guy wearing a t-shirt with a diamond on the shirt, a koala bear looking alien that walks on the bar, an alien with a snout, and finally an alien with periscope eyes. They come in red, green, purple, blue, or orange. Andrew's Guide has the number of customers and bar locations on each level, starting with one customer per bar on level 1, all the way through level 26 with four customers at each bar. It should be noted that starting with level 9, there are four customers per bar going forward. The bars start to stagger as the levels advance, but by level 10, you can see a stair-step set of bars, with each bar getting shorter as they go up the screen. Gameplay The player serves customers by pulling down on the tap handle, filling a mug at one of the four taps. Once the mug is full, the player releases the tap, which automatically slides the mug towards the advancing customer. Customers will catch mugs that are slid towards them, as long as they are not already drinking a beverage or otherwise distracted. If a mug is not caught by a customer, whether a customer is already drinking, distracted, or there is no customer, then it falls off the bar on the other end, resulting in the loss of life for the player. If a customer does catch the mug, though, then he or she is pushed back towards the opposite end of the screen. The goal is to push the customer completely off the screen, but if they are not, then they will stay and drink their beer where they are. When a customer finishes their drink, they slide the empty mug back towards the player, after which the customer resumes their advance on the player. The player must collect the empty mugs before they reach the end of the bar and fall to the ground, as a mug falling to the ground costs a life. Moving up and down is not immediately responsive, so you will have to give your bartender some leeway if he wishes to catch an empty mug at the last moment. Upon moving up or down, you are automatically placed by the cake where you can pour and serve a beer. This is useful because you can move towards the customers, pick up an empty mug, and move up or down to serve another beer quickly. Another example of where this is useful include when two glasses seem determined to crash on the floor at once. Reach out to get the one closest to the end of the bar, and then hit up or down to get to the bar where the other empty mug is. You also return to the starting point in your aisle if you try to pour a beer while in the middle of the aisle, plus the beer goes sliding down the bar too. You can also pour a beer, move vertically, and then sling it down. This is useful if you realize you've made a mistake and there is no one to serve. You can save time by serving some other folks by keeping the beer until needed. One trick you can use at your own peril is to sling as they're about to finish move. If you serve just a touch too soon though, you could sling a beer nowhere, losing a bartender. If any customer reaches the player's end of the bar, they impatiently grab the bartender and toss him to the far end of the bar, costing you a life. As the game progresses, the customers appear more frequently, move faster along the bar, and are pushed back shorter distances when they catch their drinks. In addition, the maximum number of customers per bar gradually increases until every bar can have up to four customers at a time. There are four different bars for the game, each bar lasting two to four levels. The settings for the game are a western bar with cowboys and cowgirls, two levels, a sports bar with athletes, that's three levels, 
a punk rock bar with punk rockers, four levels, and finally a space bar with aliens that's also four levels. Periodically, customers will leave tips on the bar for the player. These tips can be left at any place on the bar. The tip will appear after a specific number of empty mugs are released by the customers and will appear wherever the customer who released the required mug is standing. For example, in all levels, the first tip is left by the customer who returns the second empty mug and will be left beside wherever this customer is standing. By collecting the tip, the player earns extra points and initiates entertainment for that level. Dancing girls on the Wild West level, cheerleaders on the sports level, etc. While the entertainment is active, some of the customers will be distracted and stop advancing towards the player, but they will also stop catching mugs. Choosing to pick up a tip will prolong the level since you can't clear any of the distracted customers during the dance. However, new customers will appear more quickly afterwards. If you wish to advance through the levels quickly, ignore any tips customers leave you. If, however, you want to test your skills and aim for a higher score, take the tips. Some players choose to pick up the money in the earlier levels when the higher score gained from a longer round is worth increased difficulty. To complete a level, the player must clear the entire bar of all customers. Once this is done, the player is presented with a short animation which your bartender may do one of six different things. For all but one, he draws a drink for himself and drinks it, then tosses the empty mug into the air, after which, one, he may do a back heel kick and smash it with a grin and a wave. He also may do a back heel kick but instead hurts his foot and jumps around. 3. The mug flies off the top of the screen, where it stuns a bird that falls on his head. The fourth thing is, it may come back down and land over his head. 5th. It crashes over his head, frightening him a bit. And finally, for the 6th animation, he does my favorite thing, and he drinks 2 beers instead of 1. After completing all the levels, 13 in all, the player starts at the first level again. Harder than the first time though, and now all levels will start with 4 patrons at each bar. Bonus Rounds Keep your eyes on the unshaken can. Bonus Rounds appear after you have cleared all of one type of bar. That is, 2 western saloons, 3 sports bars, 4 punk bars, or 4 alien bars. The only really bad guy in this game appears to the left. Your bartender, with a bit of a magnified ugly mug, has his back to the action over on the right side, and smiles obliviously as the masked man shakes up five of the six cans in the center. He then bangs the table and the cans start flipping around. If you focus on your can, you should be able to figure out where it winds up, but a moment of inattention will mess things up. If any shaken can is picked, it explodes in your face and your bartender gets a shower of fizz, a defeated look, and an impromptu new hairstyle, after which the right can is revealed. If the player selects the unshaken can, the bartender is shown smiling and a message reads, This Bud's for you, or This One's for you on the Centauri version and also on Rupier Tapper, and the player is rewarded with 3,000 extra points. Starting with the third bonus round, the cans move more quickly until level 9, by which time you need a quick eye to avoid a face full of beer. Strategies No matter what, don't let the patrons reach the end of the bar. Each stage begins with a certain number of customers at each bar. Start out by immediately serving the right number of beers at the bar you start in front of. That is, if the bar has three customers, send three beers down right away. Then move up or down to the next bar and repeat the process. Continue to move only up or down, serving customers as you go until all four bars have been attended to. It is possible to clear the screen in this manner through the first three stages, but it becomes much more difficult after that for most players. You will likely have customers who do not get pushed back far enough to leave the bar. 
Therefore, you will have to serve them another beer and collect the empty mug that they will send back to you. Serve repeat patrons as quickly as possible so they are more easily pushed out of the bar. After a period of time, new patrons will begin to arrive. Soon you will have to juggle the responsibility of serving patrons and catching empty mugs. If you are on a bar with both patrons and empty mugs, serve the patrons first, then run down the bar to collect empties before moving on to another bar. However, don't do this if a mug or a patron is about to reach the end of another bar. When switching to another bar, judge which bar needs the most immediate attention. It's important to remember that the screen wraps around from top to bottom, so if you are on the lowest bar, don't push up three times to reach the highest bar. Instead, push down once and you will instantly be there. Another tip is that you don't need to run back to the tap before moving between bars. You can run all the way to the end of a bar to pick up a tip or an empty mug, then push up or down to instantly appear at the tap. In general, if you play good defense, making sure that mugs don't fall, you should be able to get through a level. Although you are really in the best shape if you can get through a level quickly. Once you are good enough, it's possible up to the fourth punk bar. Or so I've been told, since I am nowhere near that good. Also, you should never run inward after a mug that isn't at least halfway to your side of the aisle. Scoring Serving a customer 50 points for a cowboy or cowgirl 75 points for an athlete 100 for a punk rocker or 150 points for an alien Picking up an empty mug gets you 100 points Collecting a tip is 1,500 points Clearing a level, 1,000 points And winning a bonus round, 3,000 points you get an extra man at 20,000 points, and then after each additional 60,000 points. Easter Egg In the Attract mode, wait until the word Tapper is filling up with beer, and hold down the joystick and both tappers, and press both start buttons on the title screen, and the game will reveal a credits screen. While I could not get this to work, most likely this Easter Egg is also in the Suntory version. In Rookery Tapper, Wait until the mug is filling up instead to activate the Easter egg. Trivia According to graphic artist Scott Morrison, sometime during the development of the game, the programmers thought it would be fun to hear belching in the game to correspond with the belching action of some of the customers as they finished their drinks. The design team got a speech chip from Texas Instrument and they took turns belching into a microphone to create a chip full of their own belches to be used in the game. However, although this feature was very funny to the graphics artist, Scott says that it got obnoxious after a while, and they scrapped the chip, figuring that the rest of the audience would feel the same way. Major differences between Tapper Set A, Tapper Set B, Root Beer Tapper, and Suntory Tapper. First, a little history lesson. There are two common versions of this game, one with Budweiser beer and another with Root Beer. In the late 1990s, a couple of boards made by Sega featuring the Suntory logo were discovered. Sega denies that they ever produced the board, and it is not listed in any of their databases. The Suntory Tapper board is a complete re-engineering of the MCR3 hardware. Suntory is a defunct brand of Japanese beer, although the Suntory Corporation still exists. Tapper underwent one known revision. Besides the original release, there was a revision to that version, as well as Root Beer Tapper. It should be noted that Root Beer Tapper was released in January 1984, just one month after the Budweiser version that was released in December of 1983. If Bally Midway only made root beer tapper to appease people complaining about supposed advertising alcohol to minors, in the best case scenario they only had 62 days to design and manufacture new side art, a new marquee, and bezel, and tapper joysticks, all themed to the root beer version. 
which raises the question, did Bally Midway anticipate the complaints about alcohol advertisement or already had plans to release Root Beer Tapper at a later date or possibly for release at more kid-friendly locations? While it is possible Bally Midway could have designed and manufactured all those parts in between 31 and 62 days and during the Christmas, New Year's, Eve holiday season, it is at least as likely that they already had those parts designed and manufactured already. Plus, we have this quote from Steve Meyer in Retro Gamer Magazine, Issue 74. And I quote, At first, it was a street piece, but then Midway wanted to put it in the arcade, so they asked us to do a root beer version. In addition, he goes on to say, We changed the cabinet decorations, and Scott did new graphics. Using the timeline I presented, in addition to Tapper's programmer, Steve Meyer stating otherwise, it would seem to indicate that Rupert Tapper was planned much earlier in the design phase and not because of complaints about advertising alcohol to kids. The most notable change between Root Beer Tapper and any of the other Tapper versions, besides the beer removal, is that now the bartender is a soda jerk. Title screen. The logo was completely redesigned for Root Beer Tapper and the copyright information was updated from 1983 to 1984. In both Tapper and Suntory Tapper, the Tapper fills up, while in Root Beer Tapper, the mug fills up. Levels Western Bar each version of the game uses their own logo for the back wall and the western bar. Tapper uses the Budweiser logo, the Suntory version uses the Suntory logo, and Root Beer Tapper uses a generic Root Beer sign. Similar changes are applied to all the kegs. The window in Root Beer Tapper has been changed from bar to soda. The Suntory version keeps the bar but makes the text taller. The kegs have extra detail in Root Beer Tapper and the Suntory version. The colors of the counters and their shadows were swapped in Root Beer Tapper and the Centauri version. And finally, the doors are slightly different in each version. The logo on the blimp was changed between all the versions and the blimp itself was moved slightly to the left in Root Beer Tapper. Root Beer Tapper changes the umbrella to read Root Beer instead of displaying a logo and has a slightly different shape than the ones in the other versions. Only Tapper has logos on the kegs. The ice around the cakes was adjusted slightly in Root Beer Tapper. This change was carried over to the Suntory version. Each version has a different number of braces on its counters, with the Suntory version having the most and Root Beer Tapper having the least. The clouds in the sky are different in each version. Tapper only has three clouds, while the other versions have four. While Root Beer Tapper's and the Suntory version's clouds are in the same place as each other, three of the four clouds are differently shaped. The Suntory version fixes a graphical glitch on the bleachers that the previous versions have. Punk Bar. Each version uses the same logo from the country bar for their back wall, alibet with different palettes. The vomit splatters on the walls have been adjusted in each version to account for the changing logos. Rope Beer Tapper lacks a logo on its kegs. Strangely, the liquid under the kegs did not receive a color swap, making it possibly the only reference to real beer in the entire game or some really weak root beer. Rope Beer Tapper also makes the window taller. The Centauri version moves the window up and to the right, and it also has a graphical error in the bottom left side of the screen that no other version has. Each version has the televisions on the right wall in different places and makes slight changes to the door that the punks enter through. Can Minigame Before the minigame, each version flashes its own sponsor's logo. Each of the cans has their logo replaced to fit the particular version's theme. Root Beer Tapper and the Suntory version have a graphical glitch in the same spot as in Tapper, but it is bigger than Tapper's version. The Centauri version also changes the number of supports on the counter's railing and breaks up its shadow and extends the back wall down so that the floor can't be seen. 
The message for choosing the right can is different between Tapper and both Rupert Tapper and the Suntory version. In the original, the message is, this bud's for you. While the other versions use the non-Budweiser referencing version, this one's for you. High score screen. The cheerleader's hair color was changed between set A and set B of the original version. Set A's cheerleader has brown hair, while set B's cheerleader has purple hair. The change is also present in the cheerleaders on the sports stage and on the operator's menu, though it is easiest to see on the high score screen. Sound test. Some of the songs were renamed when the Budweiser sponsorship was taken out for Rupert Tapper. Bud Win became Win Tune, while Bud Song 1 and Bud Song 2 became Song 1 and Song 2. ROM Hacks There are at least two ROM Hacks. The more well-known Simpsons hack, which features characters from The Simpsons such as Carl and Lenny, Ned Flanders, and Chief Wiggum. In addition, Homer and Barney appear, plus several others from The Simpsons. Bart and Moe face off once again, with Moe as the bartender and Bart as the masked beer shaker in this version. The second hack is by Stephen Wiley and replaces the Budweiser logo with that of a local Texas brewery named Community. Stephen even did a presentation in 2016 on how he did this hack. Unfortunately, I could not find any video recordings of it in popular culture. Tapper is one of the featured games and characters in the film Wreck-It Ralph. It should also be noted that despite the game in the movie being Rupier Tapper, the main character wore his outfit from the Budweiser version. World Records Orcade records two tracks. The first track is Points, the Orcade Challenge Settings, set by Gregory Irway on June 4, 2005, with 3,162,125 points during Fun Spot 7. I couldn't find out what the Orcade Challenge Settings were on Orcade, as it just said, no settings available. However, Twin Galaxy has the same information, but it's listed as a day later. And it states the settings are... Three men, one extra man at 20,000 points, an additional man every 60,000 points, difficulty level of 3. Now note, the above diff switches are not only the factory default settings, but are also the correct Twin Galaxy tournament settings. Of note is the special rules which state, Your attempt is over after your fifth death, regardless of extra men accumulated thereafter that are in storage upon your fifth death. This attempt must either be witnessed by a referee or videotaped in full. Given that the information is identical to Orcade, except the date being off by a day, it is almost certain that these are the settings Orcade uses for their Orcade Challenge settings. The second track is Points Marathon Settings, also set by Gregory Irway on June 4, 2003 at Fun Spot 5, with 9,100,175 points with the following settings. Three men, first extra man at 20,000, an additional man every 60,000, Difficulty 3. As mentioned before, for the tournament track, Gregory Irway scored 3,162,125 points, with Twin Galaxy stating that it happened on June 5th and not June 4th, 2005. And finally, the score we've all been waiting for, Twin Galaxy records that Lauren Featherstone scored an incredible 14,600,000 points on July 25th, 2017 at Free Play Arcade in Arlington, Texas on the Marathon Point track using the default settings of three men, first extra man at 20,000, an additional man every 60,000, and difficulty of level three. I'd like to thank my wife, Dr. Jennifer Ann Morrow, for finding the information on the Tapper patent and the related published paper. I want to give a shout out to fellow podcaster and listener Gabe Kleinert. 
He has a podcast called the Arcade Memories Podcast. He's collecting people's stories of going to the arcade and compiling them into 60-minute podcasts. So far, he has two episodes, but he needs more stories before he can make more. That's where you, my fine listeners, come in. If you or anyone you know have any stories you'd like to submit, please submit them to either myself through any of my normal contacts or directly to Gabe at ArcadeMemoriesPodcast at gmail.com. You can find his podcast at www.soundcloud.com slash ArcadeMemoriesPodcast. Did I miss something important or get a fact wrong? Let me know. All feedback is appreciated. Until next episode, this is Bob Johnson saying, Always have a quarter ready. You never know where you'll find the next game. Thank you for listening to the 80s Arcade Podcast. We want to hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter at 80s Arcade Pod, on Facebook at 80s Arcade Podcast, and on the web at 80sArcadePodcast.com. <laughs>